to the Forgecast. I'm Alex Norton and I'm joined by Francesco Mucci. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. It's How good are to have you? you back on. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm alright. A bit tired, that's about it, but that's nothing new. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both. Well, before we get into the show, I'll just uh, take a moment to say a few words from our sponsors. And today's Forgecast is brought to you by Robert Weber Abrasives. So be sure to visit webbers.net.au the next time you're stocking up on abrasives. And while you're shopping, drop a visit to nordicedge.com.au for the best supply of knife-making tools, steels, and other materials around shopping worldwide. Well, it is awesome to have you back, Francesco. It's been just over a year. Yeah, I'm uh, very thrilled to be back, actually. Uh, I'm thrilled to have you back. I I couldn't wait. (laughs) (laughs) uh but um we'll we'll, uh, get into what you've been up to since in in the intervening time but um we'll just run through things that have happened uh, on this end i've got visited at my place by none other than ryan at otway fiddleback which was nice um somebody that i'd only ever known online um actually came down to visit and he brought with him a uh, as as long along with a, a beautiful selection of different timbers for me to use um, a new fly press, uh, a number number six. It's sort of a, a Norton fly press clone uh, that was made here in Australia, so it's uh, identical physically to Norton fly presses. But number six is a it's a hefty boy. It was a pain to move. I saw the pictures. <laughs> it's beautiful. I, I give it a week before I knock myself clean out with that thing. <laughs> my mate yeah. broden messaged me and he's like you give names to all your tools what do you call on this one and i said i'm gonna call it mike because like mike tyson you're looking at the wrong way it'll just knock you clean out correct correct <laughs> i also give uh, names to my most of my tools too yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, i'm really looking forward to uh getting into it. it it didn't come with any dyes so i've got some dye making ahead of me um but uh, I don't need much. It's basically just for making um, billets of Damascus, which uh, I only ever make. The, the biggest billets that I make are about two inches square. Uh, so uh, a, a six-ton fly press should be uh, more than sufficient for that. <laughs> um, I still have not got my mill. The uh, courier has been messing me around for almost a month now. It's been sitting in their depot warehouse and... Uh, Oh boy, I'm just getting so frustrated. They just keep pushing the delivery date back and back. If you want, I can uh, put my fedora on and go visit him with a baseball bat. Yeah, that's right. Get the Itali- <laughs> go Italian on him. <laughs> yeah. Well, my Italian accent is pretty on point, so that's right. Give him a call. Make him an offer they can't refuse. Correct. <laughs> I give him a call that I can't refuse. <laughs> Oh, I'm hanging out for it. They just sent me a notification saying, oh, it's been uh, rescheduled for a new delivery date. And I looked at the date. It's a public holiday. So I know they're not going to be delivering on that date. So I've got to call them again after this show. And uh, It's just nonstop fun with this courier, let me tell you. But um, the two stainless liner locks that I made disappeared really fast. It was probably the fastest um, sales of knives I've ever done, um, which was cool because I... Um, 
I really fell in love with the design and I templated it all up so that I can make them again in the future. I'm going to call them the Raptor and mm -hmm. uh, make make every so every so often do small batches of them, sometimes straightforward ones, sometimes fancy ones, because it was just it was like a fidget toy uh, to play with. It was so good. Um, I bet. But yeah, I'm, and other than that, I'm working on um, my latest big project, Tusk. Um, specifically, a lot of the effort I've been putting in is revitalizing some uh, old Mastodon tusk um, to try and re restore its luster to what it would have looked like when it was on the animal, um, which is a slow process of sort of stabilizing it because it's quite flaky and um, mm. and re-moisturizing the, 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 the tusk, sort of um, getting oils penetrated into it and the the color change is incredible because when I started with it, it had that sort of crust of oxidation on the outside and, and bringing through that and then just sort of gently sanding and buffing it and oiling it and, and re moisturizing the, the, the um, tusk has just brought out this rich sort of chocolate brown tone to it, which is just incredible. It's something that's um, hard to catch on camera that it looks quite plain, but in person it, it's got an incredible amount of uh, sort of striation and detail on it. Um, it's, it's cool to see something because I mean, Mastodon went extinct like 10 or 11,000 years ago. So it's at least that old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm very familiar with that kind of material. I'm, uh, I used a fair amount of time um, mammoth uh, task. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what's different between a mastodon and a mammoth, but uh, mastodon's the class of animal, and a mammoth is one type of mastodon. Uh, I just okay. don't know which specific type of mastodon this one came from. I just know that it is mastodon. Okay, but there it's a beautiful material. It takes a shine and uh, mm, oh. it buffs beautifully. Um, yeah, and it's I could just look at it all day to be honest, but I've got a little bit more work to um, get it where I want it, and then I'm just gonna seal the hell out of it and make it as as stable and protected as possible because um it's a it's a precious bit of material and i feel i feel lucky to be working on it um yep. so most everybody makes things with mammoth molar mammoth molar is everywhere but you don't often see people use mammoth tusk uh, especially not uh, the the straight grain of it they'll do yeah um cross section um so you know me yeah. i'm a diva i try and be different yeah, um, I I worked with the cross section a couple of times. I don't love it because usually when they cut it that way, it's because um, it's uh, it starts um, falling apart. The mm. various rings start falling apart, so they cut it uh, cross grain and then they um, cast it with with resin, yeah. and uh, that what makes for an easier sale instead of uh, flaking it apart and start uh, discarding pieces. So. That's right. It's very much like uh, yeah. a dealing with an onion, you know, how Correct. an onion yeah. after a while just layers start falling off. Um, and it's, it's very much like that, but, um, yep. yeah, finding a, finding a flat enough part that I was able to turn into a scale was, was good. Luckily I've got a, a, a nice big Mokimagane bolster on this one, so it didn't have to be too long. And, mm -hmm. um, it's amazing how much tusk you've got to go through to find the right, um, right sort of part that will turn yep. into a flat scale i'm i didn't want to risk it i was um, thinking about that technique you can use where you sort of steam bath horn and you can um press it and change mm -hmm. its shape uh, yep. i didn't want to risk doing that to a piece of you know 10 15 000 year old tusk 
<laughs> don't um, know if it would I, work. I I tried with antlers and uh, that it it doesn't work very well. You can it works uh, to a certain degree, but uh, it doesn't it doesn't go more uh, than than a certain. Um, a certain amount of movement mm. while the horn you can do whatever you want like you yeah. uh, it, you don't even need to use uh with the horn you don't even use the um uh steam just heat mm. uh make it's a sure bit like acrylic can, or something yes uh, you have to make sure they the heat goes through uh like it's like making the mask it's, uh, nice and gently that goes all the way through and then you can literally twist it and uh and do ex- whatever you want. I love horn, actually. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I haven't got much experience working with with horn. A lot with antler, but not with horn. But um, a mate of mine, Josh Gaunt, gave me um, a few really lovely specimens of horn. But they're just they're going to have to be reshaped. They're just too curved. But um, after reading about the process, it really is a pliable plastic material when you when you yes. treat it right. So mm-hmm. um, getting that beautiful buff shine that you can get on horn, I'm really looking forward to on some future projects. Yeah, and if you if you need some tips uh, on how to straighten bend and such, uh, I, I work with a plenty of horns. So, <laughs> mm, I've observed. <laughs> uh, my my song of the week this week is an interesting one. It's a song called "All That Glitters" by a singer called Kate Earl. She just goes by the name Earl um, when when she her performance name which is not to be confused with the other singer that goes by the name Earl. <laughs> Kate Earl is a woman from London, and the other Earl, which is Chris Earl, uh, is from America. Uh, very, very different singers. But um, the reason, it's, it's a very catchy song, All That Glitters, but it's got a muted trumpet hook in it that I immediately recognized and assumed that it was a like a, a sample or a remix of an old song that I used to listen to back in the early '90s called "Your Woman" by the band White Town, and so I looked it up. Just, I, I just was interested because I heard the hook and I remembered the hook. It's a very famous hook from that '90s song, and I found out that White Town had sampled that hook from another band, which was an old band from like the '50s uh, called Lou Stone and the Monsignor Band. And the song that they did in the 50s was a cover of a Bing Crosby song. So it's just this this constant history of using this one trumpet hook. <laughs> um, and the, that, that hook has also been used in a, a Dua Lipa song, Love Again. Um, and, yeah, it's just been used everywhere. It's crazy. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, but All the Glitters is sort of it's, um, a little bit jazzy and it's a little bit... Um, sort of uh what do they call it you know electro swing it's got a little bit of a vibe of electro swing but not not it's not an electro swing song it's more of a jazz song but uh she's got kate earl has got a wonderful voice for it and it's just sort of this mix of old world and new world and and yeah really really catchy so Hmm. what about you francesco what have you been up to to last week uh, what have uh, what have I've done last week? So um, I made pizza, of course, yeah. on Sunday because Sunday in my house is uh, pizza pizza day. Um, I made bread, which is also uh, a staple of uh, of my house. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually almost finished a little patty knife that I made uh, with the same 
uh, stainless semi uh, that I use for the two large gudos that I uh, finished a couple of months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still have a um, usuba that is made with the same steel, the same billet. Uh, mm-hmm. That I want to finish, but this this pad is almost done, and I use uh, a nice pair of um, uh, what's it called pine cone steel that has uh, been uh, cast with resin. Yeah, uh, get some incredible pine- patterns with those. Yes, yes, and I uh, those are actually uh, pine cones that I harvested myself when I was living in uh, uh, in Las Vegas. So uh, the very cool. The, they're like almost 10 years old, so they were plenty dry. Yeah, I reckon. Um, yeah, and uh, then I made an, uh, also the saya for that knife with a piece of quilted maple. It's stunning, uh, stunningly um, chatoyant. Mm. As you, as I you do like. love chatoyants. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, to match the, the color of the handle, I uh, stained it green and then gave it a nice coat of um, uh clear acrylic so it's almost ready uh and that's it mm. then work 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 at the violin shop yeah it's um, incredible seeing the work that you do um remembering that you don't do bladesmithing full-time it's yeah, uh well... it's incredible what you get done i, I want to know i want to know what your motivation is to to get that sort of energy to put out what you put out well uh the, the motivation is like uh, I think you have the same the same thing. It's just uh, trying to make the next thing better, uh, mm. and uh, and just I just need to make stuff. I, <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I just I just have the need to make stuff. And one Whatever thing that you is. recently made that blew me away was um, a, a, a two time previous guest on this show, uh, Dr. Anthony Carroll. Um, he actually mentioned it, I think, the first time he came on the show that he's getting a uh, ordered a folding knife from both myself and you, Francesco, uh, which right. was horribly uh, intimidating for me. But um, <laughs> I sent him mine a while ago, be, be close to a year ago, mm-hmm. um, and, and you just recently finished his, and it is stunning, jaw-droppingly stunning. Thank you. Um, Thank you. And I, I was interesting, uh, interested to find out what was the inspiration for the design for the release. It's not a common method to actually have it in the uh, the back like that. Um, it, it's actually a sim- very, very simple um, backlock. Mm. Um, and uh, so the release is actually um, came from the need to not have... Uh, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of backlock has that notch on the yeah. on the spine of the of the handle to press the back down, right? Um, I don't like that in in my knives because I find that uh, interrupts the line uh, mm-hmm. of the shape. So I moved the the pressure point all the way in the back, and since a lot of uh, folding knives have the that bill to uh, especially uh, gentlemen. Uh, what are called gen- gentlemen uh, folding knives um, because you know you, you use it to attach the silver chain or whatever you you need to uh, keep it attached to your uh, vest mm. um, that also gives you more leverage uh, so even if you have a very powerful spring having the, the leverage that long it's a light you... release correct correct mm. it's very very easy to release and uh, yeah and I oh, oh, of course I got um, 
my inspiration, um, the inspiration for that kind of release is uh, from Ron Lake and Jim Smith, uh, Jim Schmidt, uh, and Delana also uses something similar from time to time. So, mm. um, would you say backlocks are your favorite um, lockup mechanism for for folding knives? Or? Yes, yes, what I've So, why is that? Just the strength that they add, or? Um, it's, I just find that, um, it's a little more, com more complicated in, um, amongst all the various, um, traditional locks. Uh, and I like the challenge and also, uh, I like that the fact that it locks completely and yeah, yeah, you can, you yeah. can put a lot of pressure without it, uh, open, closing by itself. So without Sam here, we can both just nerd out about folders for the whole time. You know, yeah. When the cat's away, then the mice will play. <laughs> correct, correct. Um, so, word on the street is that you are prepping to go for your Master Smiths eventually, yes. uh, sometime in the near future. That's got to be yeah. nerve wracking. Or are you calm? Are you zen about it? Uh, so it is. It is kind of uh, nerve wracking uh, because being uh, having gone through the JS, I already know what it what it is. Which, um, from one point of view, you can say, "Oh, we already went through that, so you know what it is." But ex exactly because I know what um, it is to come, <laughs> I mm. know that I am going to be in trouble because. I have to, to do the performance test exactly the same, but with a Damascus knife. Yeah. No longer, no longer with a, a full tank, but with a hidden tank, uh, and uh, it has to. Uh, Minimum four hundred layers, was it? Uh, I think three hundred, but I'm not one hundred percent sure. I need to recheck the the, the specs. They're on the ABS website, mm. and. Um, and yeah, it needs to withstand the exact same uh, torture and without coming loose in any part and without, of course, breaking doing the yeah. uh, bend. So, and you're then we have to, the quilling. It, uh, I know on JS, you're allowed to have a crack that's no wider than a third of the blade, I believe. Uh, I So I believe that you are, are allowed to have a crack that doesn't uh, break completely the, the knife. Mm -hmm. And it might be the same for uh, the Mastersmith, but I'm, uh, I'm not sure. So to make sure, I'm, I'm trying to not uh, yeah. have a crack totally. <laughs> well, I, I know. I mean, it's not it's not a path I'm, I'm going down, but I, I, I sort of have an external knowledge of what's required. And I know that on JS, there's you, you can slip up in a couple of small ways and you can usually get through with the JS still. But um, MS, they, they have a... A lot small, lower patience for slight slip-ups. Um, what sort of things are you doing to uh, refine that attention to detail? I mean, the requirements are so much tighter. Are there any things, areas that you yourself are aware of that you're working on, or things that you are uh, exercises that you're doing? Um, yeah. So mainly, uh, I I I think that one. Um, one thing that uh, sent home most of the applicants was the um, presence of gaps uh, between the joints of mm -hmm. the various parts, uh, which is unfortunately something that uh, I am seeing in a lot of makers. They just don't pay attention and you can see 
what they flipped. Uh, you, you can see it in the Instagram lives or Instagram videos. You can see they flipped uh, the piece around, all proud, and you can see the gaps between the, mm. the parts. That's something that, in my mind, uh, I come from uh, from a violin making standpoint. You you cannot have any caps on a violin because otherwise that will fall apart. So, yeah, resonance uh, issues. Correct, but it, it's just the, the tension and the pressure, especially on a double bass, uh, would just fall apart. I saw I saw the double bass closed like a like a book mm-hmm. because the joint in the next set wasn't uh, wasn't made properly. And so I have, I have that always in the back of my mind. And uh, on that point of view, I think I am pretty good. So, of course, uh, better, uh, we, we can always improve on everything. But um, I think I can, uh, I can be kind of um, good on that, on that side. Um, I'm a little more concerned about the, the performance test. Uh, because I have never made uh, that kind of uh, bend on a Damascus knife, because you know, especially a hidden tang. Yeah. Yes. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, have you been reaching out to any master smiths that you you know to get some advice? We had uh, Kyle Rohr on last episode. I'm sure he'd he'd have some words of wisdom for you. Well, I, I actually um, messaged, um, emailed Kyle uh, a long time ago uh, when I was hmm. still in California, asking him if he would uh, oversee my JS. And he actually responded immediately, said he would have been uh, so happy to oversee my test. But then time passed, I, uh, I, I moved and so on and so forth. And um, actually, I have a, a Mastersmith um, like, 15 minutes from my house. All right. In Florida. Uh, Master Char- Charles Ox III, um, who is famous for his um, uh, automatic knives. He has a, a, he, he patented um, a specific uh, mechanism that he was famous for, and he sold it to law enforcement and such. So, and, but now, now he's, re- he's retired, so he's not building anymore um but it yeah it, uh, every time i call him is plenty happy to oversee uh my test so i believe steve schwartz is in florida as well isn't he yes he's he's uh, uh i think um, almost two hours away from me though so yeah right um i'll, I'll probably go visit him uh just to take a class or something because i I can't have Steve Shorts are two hours away and not go there. And, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and he sounds like such a lovely guy too. That's what I heard. Everybody speaks volumes of uh, of his uh, kindness and generosity. Uh, uh, we have uh, we had Jim Morrissey on a while back from uh, Shamrock Knives, uh, and he actually mm-hmm. lives walking distance from Steve Schwartz's house. Um, and Steve's always happy to have him over and. and just sort of hang out and jam and will stelter hangs out there as well and just experimenting and doing cool stuff yeah will stelter actually goes there pretty often and it, it is a fair bit of a drive from for it so. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit just a tiny yes. bit <laughs> he doesn't mind doing cross-country drives though if it means picking up new tools and things yeah 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 well you know so um 
like I said earlier, I mean, it's it's been over a year since you were on the show last. It was January last year. Um, so what sort of things have you been working on in that time? What what have you been refining and improving? What's your focus been? Has it all been a lead up to the, the inevitable MS or, or just uh, continuing to make what you, what you love? Well, everything... Um points always towards MS for me. And every single thing that I've, that I've been doing since JS has always been pointing towards that. Mm. Um, it's it's always that path of uh, continuous growing that we go through. Um, it's not necessarily pointed specifically towards the test, but it's, it's that um, continuous uh, trying to con- continuous uh, growing and uh, and trying to uh, improve on uh, on yourself uh, every day, um, but in the specific, if uh, if we're talking about um, specific techniques, um, I've been doing fair bit amount of uh, stainless uh, samurai, which I I'm getting in love with. Um, mm. You're getting in love with forge welding stainless. It's uh, yes, yes. <laughs> a bit of a process. Um, it's actually it's actually less daunting than you you might think. It's just it's it's <laughs> it's one of those things I always say to people with with forge welding and stainless is no different. There is a set of steps. If you yep. follow those steps, you will get the forge weld. If you didn't get the forge weld, you just slipped on one of the steps. So you just yes, find where but... you slipped and patch that hole and keep going. Yeah, it's a it's like a recipe. Uh, you you follow the recipe and you're good. Uh, actually, making Damascus is I never find it that complicated. It, uh, except when it started, it was a freaking nightmare. But <laughs> yeah, we've um, talked about on the show once that it's one of those things that you'll try and you'll try and you'll stuff up and you'll you'll start getting um, a little bit of progress and then you'll slip back a little bit. But then one day you'll just wake up and you can forge weld. Yeah, it's like you you Miyagi yourself, and all of a sudden you can just do it, and it's not something you really think about anymore. Yeah, and and, and what I found is also everybody has uh, its own his own or her own uh, their own um, <laughs> uh, way of doing things. Uh, so I, I everyone has like a slightly different variation of their recipe, um, and. As long as it works, it's like hot sauce. (laughs) Correct, correct. (laughs) So, um, yeah, and um, once you find your way, then uh, if you always follow that direction, uh, then you're good. Now I'm I'm trying to go uh, towards the fluxless um, forge welding uh, without uh, without encasing and editing. Um, because I, I found that my forge uh, gets very, very nice reducing us atmosphere. Yep. Uh, it's so, Jason Knight's style of doing it. Yep. So, and uh, I got, I taught a class uh, oh, a week ago, about a week ago, and I, I taught uh, that, guy, that, that person to uh, how to um, forge a sound mine. Mm-hmm. And we did it fluxless. And when just uh, all we did, we, we didn't use the press. Uh, we did all by hand. Went just magnificently. So, yeah, fluxless by hand is uh, that's 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 a good skill to be able to have. But uh, I, I applaud getting a beginner to do that. That's great. 
Well, it, it it's been forging with me for already four lessons. So oh right, okay. Yeah, understands uh, those fundamentals. Yes, so that's great. I I don't like teaching actually. Uh, I freaking hate it. Uh, but it's a friend of my boss, so I couldn't say no. And he's a good guy, so you know. Um, but it takes a lot of time from I, I forge one day a week. So, yeah. uh, well, I work on my knives one day a week. So if I teach that day, I, I have lost a week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's amazing you do one day a week and you still achieve what you achieve. I could all, we could well, all take a page out of your book. Well, I also, I also go to, the, to my workshop before going to the violin shop. So uh, an hour, an hour and a half usually. So that uh, adds up pretty, pretty fast. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I try to I try to work fast and work clean. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you learn when you when you don't have a lot of time, you learn how to minimize the um, um, the redundancies. The, it's one of the reasons I yeah. love the forty eight hour dagger challenge that happens each year because it it just it forces you to work clean, work fast. But then the revelations that you have about the layout of your workshop and the the steps in your workflow all become crystal clear and you have these moments of clarity of I don't need this step. I, I, I could do this faster and that and it's a really great way to teach yourself how to work cleaner. Yeah, I agree. I, w- I would like to do the foyer dagger, dagger, but I never, I, <laughs> if I have, if I have commissions, I can't do that. <laughs> well, it's, you've got plenty of notice. It's not until August this year. Well, that my problem is I don't, actually don't have 48 hours in a row, so yeah. you don't have any <laughs> annual leave or anything like that. Um, yes, but I try to take it to go to visit my family in Italy. So true. true. You're planning <laughs> a trip back soon, aren't you? Yes, um, we just booked the flight um, yesterday, uh, so right. we're gonna we're gonna go to Italy the 19th. Uh, of April because it, the twentieth is my mom's birthday, so and right. she doesn't know it. <laughs> oh, hopefully, hopefully, she's not a listener of the show. No, she wouldn't understand anyway. She speaks <laughs> on, only only the dialect, not even Italian. Only only Itali- the dialect of, of her hometown. So, <laughs> yep, fair enough. <laughs> now I realize I was remiss of me. I forgot to ask you your song of the week. Oh, you're right. So my song of the week is um, Pisces, I think it's pronounced, uh, P-I-S-C-E-S, mm-hmm. uh, by the band Ginger, J-I-N-J-E-R. Yep. And uh, it's... Uh, That's a very heavy uh, song. <laughs> it's a very heavy song, and um, the, the singer is a lady. And she has You'd never guess it. Yes, and she has beautiful voices, and I live with that. <laughs> I I, uh, I would not have picked you listening to that sort of music. Oh my god, I love metal. Are you joking? <laughs> yeah, well, there's metal and there's metal. Like that's. <laughs> yeah, that that's uh, that. I actually that song. I put it on when uh, when I go climbing, and I, I know that I have to. I'm I'm about to climb something really hard mm-hmm. then the interest is very very nice and slow and uh kind of introspective uh so it helps me calms down a little bit because you know if when you're climbing you try you, you need to try to 
um, save all the energies for the the last part because you know <laughs> most likely there is going to be uh, the most difficult section at the end. Yeah. So uh, that slow intro that allows me to relax a little bit and uh, take take my my time and take my breath, and then when the when the power starts. Man, <laughs> you start climbing that, like a fiend. I just reap holes off the wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if nobody's listened to that song before, then you're in for a shock. Let me tell you. Yes, there's actually uh, there's reaction videos all over YouTube of like singing coaches and things responding yes. to seeing this the video. <laughs> yes, yes, I I actually um, suggest the charismatic voice. Um, it's a channel on uh, on YouTube. She's an opera singer who does these reactions, and uh, her reaction was the best I've seen. She's yeah, like, she just fell in love. <laughs> like, oh, you can see the the heart shape eyes, <laughs> <laughs> the uwu face. <laughs> yes. Oh man. Well, we actually have a couple of listener emails that you're welcome to pitch in on. I'm sure you'd have some thoughts. Um, yep. Our- First one comes from Shane, and he says, you were talking about scavenging steels in one of your previous episodes, and it got me wondering. All the pawn shops around town in Wichita, Kansas, have tool bins full of old wrenches of all sorts for $0.10 to $0.50. So I wonder if you have any idea of the general steel that these might be made of and if it cannot be made into a good blade. Also, do you guys have any bladesmithing forums you like best? So it's an interesting question, especially since uh, my uh, long controversial video a while back on scrap steel. Um, wrenches and, and tool handle tools like that are usually made of a type of steel that's designed to handle strain, not necessarily handle uh, like high hardness for edge holding. It's usually sort of equivalent in performance, not net, not metallurgy, but uh, performance of something like 4140 uh, that you use mm-hmm. to make hammers, but they usually have quite a high chromium vanadium content to be rust resistant. Um, yep. So it can be used for knives just fine, but I wouldn't expect a, a high performance knife and more of like a novelty factor of a knife made of a wrench uh, or a knife for light duty applications. Um, but I wouldn't expect to get anything. I mean, you wouldn't even be able to compare its performance to a simple steel like 1084. I, I agree 100%. In fact, you can see a, a lot of those wrenches. Um, if you don't use the wrench the exact um, size, they get marred very easily in the inside, mm. on the on the corner, and that you can see that it, the, the steel, it's, it's tough, but it's not hard. Yes. Yeah. Because you don't want the the wrench to break while while you're applying all the torque so yeah that'd be a bad day yes. break your knuckles <laughs> punch in the face that's right we've all been yeah. there oh man <laughs> uh hopefully that helps shane if you haven't watched the video i did on um scrap versus known steel definitely give it a check it out we actually uh, i was joined by jay nielsen niels vandenberg kyle royer and sam towns uh, on that video explaining the the pros and cons of both 
known steel and scrap steel and it was trying to give equal weight to both sides of the argument because you'll get a lot of people that say never use scrap you don't know what it is so blah 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 and um if you get if you're just sort of a weekend warrior and playing around or having fun with it or trying to be creative with a project or something like that there's plenty of great scrap steels available but um if you can find um files that's what uh, I'd be going for if you were um, chasing down scrap. If I might add, um, uh, wrenches can make beautiful and very practical uh, bottle openers with very little work. Mm. And uh, especially small ones can, can become a, a keychain uh, bottle opener. And yeah, about uh, scrap absolutely. steel. Uh, about I mean, scrap um sorry to interrupt that uh let me let me just add i haven't bought um steel uh in probably 10 years and almost everything that i i have done uh, until now is all with scrap steel of course uh i uh i test everything after i forge and heat treat and uh uh, I make sure that there is no um, inherent uh, problem with the with the structural integrity of the of the knife. Um, mm. But I I almost always use uh, recycled material, especially large ball bearings uh, races, or mm-hmm. um, uh, the the usual uh, spring steel and so and so forth. Um, uh, except for Damascus, for Damascus I just buy uh, steel because it takes too long to um process it down pr- correct correct yeah so, uh just i just buy the the sheet uh yeah even if you have presses and things getting everything flat and level and everything it's, it's so much easier just get a bar it's a step for a step um more than you need to do so why <laughs> yeah exactly um so hopefully that helps shane um Definitely don't give up on scrap steel because <laughs> by any means. Um, and our next email uh, comes from Chris and he says, Hey guys, it's Chris Martin from Texas. Just popping in to say, Hey, and bring up an interesting topic. So the great Steve Schwarzer and Kilroy Ironworks have made another leap in the Damascus world. They've found that using 3D print patterns in canister Damascus creates beautiful patterns with minimal risk of failure, provided you can weld. Thanks again for the awesome content. Keep it up, Chris. Uh, I did see that on the Coal Ironworks YouTube channel. They did a video uh, showing the process. They're actually, they figured out that somebody found out that they um, can do 3D printing in steel uh, mm. rather than PLA filament and that. And they thought, well, if you can 3D print steel, why not make it, um, you know, why not 3D print Damascus patterns, you know? <laughs> and uh, yeah, they are very interesting results. Very interesting. But I heard that the steel that they printed has a very low content in carbon. Yeah, well, it's 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 early days in the experiment, mm-hmm. um, yep. but it's it's interesting to uh, see where it's going. It's not really my flavor. I'm I'm like I said in the last episode. I'm not really a fan of mosaics and and canisters and things like that. Um, I, I'm not saying it's a bad thing to do. I. I I'm very in awe of what other people do. My personal style, though, is that I like to just mess up a billet and then see what happens. I really like that sort of Christmas present moment of, you know, grinding it back and then doing that etch and not knowing what's going to be there. I really love that aspect of it. Um, 
like I said, if other people like to plan their Damascus methodically and, you know, good on them, that's, that's, if that's their style, my style is very much, I like to not know what I'm getting. So anything that leads closer towards knowing exactly what you're going to get, it sort of puts me off a little bit. So it hasn't yeah, been think... a, a, of huge interest to me, but it is interest from the, the science nerd part of me. <laughs> yeah. I think to, to, um, to work on mosaic Damascus, you need to be a little OCD, uh, which I am. And, yeah. Uh, I, I've done uh, a few uh, a few mosaic patterns in the past. Um, I haven't I haven't done a much um, Damascus forging lately, uh, but uh, that's something I would like to go back into. And uh, I, I recently forged um, not not recently, like almost a year ago. Um, a fair, fair Baron Skies, I apologize for my accent, um, dagger, and mm-hmm. that was made out of uh, a mosaic that I made out of uh, a composite canister Damascus that was made with geometric patterns uh, and powder and so forth. So um, That was a lovely build. Thank you. Yeah, well, that was fun. <laughs> the, the thing that messed me up the most was making the... Uh, the shape of the of yeah this, uh, sheet that was not the so um, fun. <laughs> I, I always recommend if people want to get into making daggers to try a fair band sykes because you look at them and you think that's a very simple design and um it's because they're so simple that they're actually trickier than they look to get right yeah the blade yeah. geometry is not what you'd expect it to be a strange, a strange dagger. And it's because they're designed for one thing and literally yep. one thing, and that's killing humans very, very quickly and effectively. And that's not something that you normally see nowadays. Like it used to be very common in medieval times, but these days we see knives that are designed for butchering meat or hunting or uh, utility mm-hmm. work or farm work or pocket knives and things like that. So to see a geometry that's specifically designed for that purpose is, it seems very foreign. But then to look at a photo of a Fairbairn Sykes knife, you're like, oh, that's a very straightforward thing. But it's not until you've got one in your hands and you you see it from every angle and that you think that's very weird. <laughs> I, I I completely agree, and uh, in fact, I can tell you that the first time that I saw the Fairbairn's uh, Skies uh, pattern, I looked at it and I go, hmm, I've seen this somewhere else. Then I go and grab a, a publication with uh, Brondel daggers uh, mm. in, in pictures from the 1400s, and I put the two, the two together, so the blade is exactly the same. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's pretty much a um an anorexic rondel dagger yeah, correct yep. yeah and most of the time when you find historic examples of them you find them with the tip broken off mm-hmm. um and it's simply because they are so light the real thing so light and so well balanced um that you you find that people who have found them use them as throwing knives and the yes. geometry is just not designed to handle that sort of stress. And uh, so oftentimes you'll find with the tip broken off if they've been kicking around for a while. I'm lucky yeah. enough to own the parade Fairbairn Sykes of my mentor when he was in the British Special Forces. Um, he didn't get to keep his his uh, field knife, but um, his, uh, his parade version he did. Because the parade version is um, 
uh, high polish finish with light fittings, brass fittings. The field version is usually blacked out so that it doesn't reflect light. Mm-hmm. Um, so for when you're sneaking up behind people. But after he explained how they're used, it just gives you the willies. Yeah. <laughs> Not only designed to kill people quickly, but to kill them silently. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. people, people generally make a lot of noise when they die, but... Ugh. Ugh. A different world, a world that I cannot uh, uh, mentally I put that, myself in. I find that very rude. I'm, if I'm killing you, you should shut up. Yeah, right? I know. Be quiet. I'm trying to. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm working oh, come here. On. <laughs> come on, really? <laughs> uh, I just realized that we actually missed a part of Shane's question. So, Shane, if you're listening, I apologize. You did ask us, do we have any bladesmithing forums that we like? Um, I hate forums. I really hate forums. I, I avoid forums like the plague. Although you can't say avoid like the plague anymore because coronavirus has sort of proven that wrong. Everyone just runs towards it and rubs themselves all over it now. So I avoid I, I avoid forums because they're full of full of people, and I'm not a people yes, person. I agree. So. <laughs> um, I I actually I actually have a couple of forums that I can suggest. Um, one is uh, I Forge Iron. Uh, which is mm, the first forum that I uh, mm, run into when I moved to the United States, and ma- mainly because I was looking for uh, an anvil, uh, and uh, I was trying to save, so I was trying to find an anvil. I used the anvil, and uh, did a search on the internet. I, I, and uh, one of the first uh, pages that came out was uh, I for Jaron forum, and they have, of course. Uh, uh, trade and sell section and so forth and it's that one of the few forums that people there are really 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 nice and uh the knowledge that, that of people on that forum is incredible and they're, they're mostly uh blacksmiths they're not uh it's not a blitzmitting forum uh there's mm-hmm. a few blitz blitzmiths also but um that's that's a nice uh, nice forum there I can suggest. And another one is the Bladesmiths forum, uh, the uh, former Donk Fog Don Fog forum, and that's an, another um, another forum that I I go to from time to time. And if you are a ABS um, subscriber, then you can go to the forum of the ABS. Yeah. Well, there's some uh, hope that should keep you busy for a while, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, who's been who's been inspiring you recently, Francesco? Last time it was well, your your bosses. Yes. So, I uh, I chose my inspiration um, for this week uh, amongst a lot of inspiration that I have, but it's basically the same inspiration that kept me going since I started. And uh, that's uh, the great uh, Jim Schmidt. Mm. Um, he is actually uh, one of the first knife maker that I, I uh, deeply researched when I started. Um, and main, mainly because, so when I started, I, um, I was into a um, reenactment group where I used to uh, l- I learned um, 14th century uh, fencing and uh, the fencing teacher had this book called uh, in Italian of course 
Science and Mystique of the Contemporary Damascus. And it was written by Ivan Okomi, who was uh, a collector, a big, avid uh, art knife collector. And in the back of this book, there are um, full-size pictures of his uh, knives and swords that he owns. And uh, many of those are by the uh, great and only Jim Schmidt. And mm. I started drooling. The first time I saw that, I started drooling like a, a, a dog with rabies. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe that. And uh, especially his goblins, um, his uh, folders, which uh, are mostly uh, backlogs. And, and that's where I, um, uh, I took the inspiration of the Bale, uh, Bale release. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's, it's been a great source of inspiration because he has a very, very um, peculiar artistic touch. And, uh, and you can see um, the remnants of this work in the Lana's work. Uh, Lana was uh, <clears throat> Jim Schmidt. Um, apprentice for a while right. and uh yeah and um you can see if you'd see the two uh makers uh, the, the the products of the two makers side by side you can see a lot of the influence on uh, of Jim, Jim Schmidt in Delana's work mm-hmm. uh where uh, even though Delana took it to uh, a, a whole different level yeah has a very unique big, style Yes, because Delana is a, uh, as a past as a jeweler. She's uh, still a jeweler, so she has uh, a lot of uh, different ideas. And but you can see that there is a fundament, uh, a foundation, uh, uh, in a work that comes from Jim Schmidt, and it's it's beautiful. So yeah, that's wonderful. My, my inspiration. Yeah, some of Jim Schmidt's goblin folders are just mind-bendingly amazing. Yep. And uh, most of them, you can see when when you activate the the locking mechanism, the the uh, tongue wiggles. The, the, yes, <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. It's mind blowing. Um, yeah. So um, with the, I mean, we you're you're heading towards MS test. So most of what you're going to be working on is going to be refinement of your current skill set. Yes, um, perfection of everything that you currently do. Yes. What's the next aspect of knife making that you want to sort of throw yourself at uh, outside of that refinement? Something new that uh, oh, I asked this of Carl Royer, and he, he wants to get in, uh, into engraving in a big way. Um, but what's what's Francesca Mucci doing? Well, beside improving uh, my mosaic Damascus uh, skills, which is mm-hmm. never-ending task, um, yeah. I, I would also like to learn uh, to engrave. Uh, the, the problem with that is uh, that you have to devote a lot of time in, in, because it's not, it's not you, you don't just pick up a graver. Oh, yeah, you don't do a quick 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Look at what a nice scroll I just carved. No, nope. you have to throw out uh, piles of mild steel before before you you do a nice uh, a nice even curve where you don't have uh, angles in the curve mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and so forth. So it's it, it requires a lot of time and uh, who knows maybe one day, but that's that's something that I would love to do. Yeah, 
it definitely opens some doors in design opportunities for knives. Yes, yes. Actually, um, one a friend of mine um, in in Italy uh, is a very accomplished um, uh, engraver, and mm-hmm. he does a lot of work uh, with uh, also uh, gold inlay and and so forth. And uh, he he said. Uh, whenever you can, you come back to Italy. If you if you come, I can I can teach you. But I come only for two weeks, and I want to see my family too. So crash course, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Put aside one day, turn up with a case of Red Bulls <laughs> <laughs> and a mad look in your eye. Say, we doing this? Yeah. <laughs> we have eight hours. Oh. <laughs> uh, um, well, I mean, we've we've talked about some crazy makers on this show, crazy in a good way, in the best way. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And when it comes to folding knives, uh, two of the more crazy that we've talked about were um, Elaine Vallette, who does the music box folders with the little crank handle that opens yeah. it up, uh, and Torpin29, who has totally reimagined the slip joint mechanism. Um, do you have any wacky designs for folder mechanisms that you want to sort of bring to life? And do you, do you think about that sort of thing or are you more focused on, you know, refining what's already been the, the paths um, that have already been trod? So from one side, I would like to um, like refine the, the few mechanisms that I'm doing right now, uh, which is uh, the usual um, uh, back lock, the liner lock, which I don't do very much because I don't actually love it. But from time to time, it's it's fun to do. Um, slip joint. Uh, I don't I don't do a lot of friction folders uh, because I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna say this and you're gonna punch you in the face, but I find it a little waste of time. <laughs> 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 if it doesn't ever, if even the slip joint. Why? Why is it not locking? If it, when you spend time doing that little spring, just put a lock on it. And, uh, <laughs> anyway, shots um, fired. <laughs> Jim no, Dobler, if you're listening, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm 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 100% joking. Um, I, I, lo- I love making, but ju- just I just love to make a locking mechanism because it's just a little. Yeah, uh, the challenge. walk and talk is important. You can get yes. hooked on the walk and talk. Yes. Um, but um, I, I would like to invent a new lock. That's been something that I've always wanted to do, but I can't come up with a working design that doesn't already exist. And it, mm. it's it kind of um, it kind of upsets me to a certain point because uh, one of one of uh, uh, the people that I look up to is uh, J- um, Michael Walker, the inventor of the liner lock. Mm-hmm. And uh, he literally invents a new lock, a little new locking mechanism every month. Right? Yeah, every month. And I follow uh, his Instagram. I follow him. I've been following him forever. And is oh my god! It I don't even fathom how some of those mechanisms come to life in his mind. Because one thing is, it's like playing uh, a musical instrument. One thing is. Um, playing a song that you heard and another thing, and you can play it as well as you want, but another thing is invent it, to yeah. write it. So the same, the same goes uh, for the, um, uh, for the locking mechanism. You can uh, 
build something that you already saw as well as you want, but coming up with those complicated uh, moving parts. And it, let me tell you, it makes some really complicated locks that looks super simple from the outside. And then you open it. Jesus, what happened? Right here? <laughs> um, and it, it just my mind doesn't work like that, <laughs> unfortunately. Yet. <laughs> Yet. Maybe one day, but um, You're still I, actually young. Con- I actually contacted Michael Walker and I asked him if I could go um, visit him. That was like a few years ago. And he said, well, whenever you stop by the house, uh, uh, come visit me. Uh, okay. Wouldn't it be great <laughs> to just step into a space like that and you know, step into that person's mind and see how they're operating? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that even if I would take a, a class with him, I still, will still not be able to um, uh, come up with a new mechanism. This is that yeah. the, that person is just a genius. But anyway, and it, it works with very all these. It is a machinist uh, in 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 the heart, and but all these machines are all old machines from the sixties, from the fifties. And it's just, oh, my God, the stuff that he does with those machines is incredible. Yeah. It's the dream, though. Yeah. Well, for yeah. all the people that think, that think if you have a meal, your life is easy, huh? Go buy a meal. And then... Oh, I've already started getting those messages, you know. <laughs> that's, why I'm, that's why I'm looking forward to getting my meal. I'll just be able to, like, chuck some wood and some steel on top of the, the deck and walk away. I'll have, a, have some lunch, come back, and it'll have made, just made a knife for me. On its right. own, it, it's great. It, it, it won't take like a, a, probably a year to start to make a decent cut with a decent surface finish, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> there's no practice or anything. It's just automatic. No, <laughs> no skill involved. No. That is not learning curve. It's like people, the people who say, "Oh, but you know, uh, once you get, you have a very nice uh, um, back grinder, the bevels come out." by themselves oh yeah mm-hmm. oh yeah put a put a, a 36 grit uh uh with a fresh fresh sharp uh, abrasive on it and, and start grinding and see what happens mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's see if the if the plunge lines are uh, come out nice and and uh and straight that's the, that's the thing isn't that you start um like making specifically folding knives because most commercially available knives these days are pocket knives and um you start picking them up and having a look at them. You're like, mm, those are some uneven plunges or yeah. you know, what, were, what were they thinking with this? Or there's some rattle here. And <laughs> but that's because they're all made uh, with a CNC machine. And the, yeah. the mo- most, of those, most of those are not uh, touched up by a human hand. And they just take the part that is basically stamped and, uh, and uh, CNC ground. And they put them together, and then you, of course, you see that the unevenness, and then uh, it's not perfectly flat, and it's put together with their asses. And um, it's it's and humbling, then, though. I mean, with yeah. all of our amazing technological advancements and, and computer-controlled CNC machines and all that sort of thing, there is not yet a machine that can make a knife the way a human can. Nope. Nope. It's great. Keeps us in a job. I know, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> there, there are some some uh, um, brands that make very, very good knives. There, like yeah, 100%. there are. Uh, but yeah, there's 
this machine I mean, you pay for them. a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. this machine costs a, a, a very, very huge amount of money, a big pile of money. So, the, and you have to maintain them properly, and that costs more money. So, that reflects on the price of the knife. Yeah. <laughs> it costs like That's a right. custom knife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but it doesn't matter. I mean, you could be you could be handing out diamonds on a street corner, and you'd get people saying, "This is cloudy. I don't want this." Yeah, <laughs> there's always going to be somebody who complains. Of course, of course, complaining. It's in the human nature. Yeah, but in lighter news, we do have our um, Forgecast competition for this this month. Um, I don't know whether or not you'll have the time to to enter in, Francesco. But uh, if you do, it's teams of two. It can be internationally. I mean, we do have mail systems, so you don't necessarily have to be in the same room. Um, but it's total freedom of design. You can make whatever you want. It's just got to be a fairly even contribution from the two people. If you want to have a team of three or four out of, you know, not being able to pick somebody, that's fine. We're not going to judge you based on that, but it can't be one person. And we want to see fairly even contributions from the, the team. Um, but while it is freedom of design, you, we want you to make something whimsical because the world needs more whimsy. So you will be judged on your whimsy and there will be prizes um, for the winners. So um, we'll be announcing them later in the competition, still working those out because the um, infrastructure of trying to organize prizes for multiple team members in potentially in different countries and things is a little tricky, but uh, there will be prizes for this. So uh, let's see your whimsy. And if you are going to join in, remember to use the hashtag ForgeCastCompetition because this is a competition. It's not a ForgeCast challenge. This is a ForgeCast competition. So hashtag ForgeCastCompetition. And I'm very interested to see. I mean, if you're wondering what I mean by whimsy, it's just something that is pretty much pointless, a pointless invention or device or, or item that its only purpose is to just make people smile. It's all form, no function. Um and that's the only aspect that you are going to be judged on. Not necessarily build quality or complexity. It's just going to be how whimsical it is. Because that way people can scroll through the hashtag and see some things that make them smile. And that's, uh, I think that's, uh, that was a brilliant idea. Uh, unfortunately, I, I don't think I have any whimsy in me. Just, would, <laughs> You're plenty I whimsical. End, I, I will just end up making a knife. <laughs> There are whimsical <laughs> knives. Well, I mean, Elaine Vallette's music box, ni- box knives are some of the most whimsical things I've ever seen. That's that. That was beautiful, but I, I don't. I don't have uh, that much uh, imagination to uh, come up with something uh, so inspiring. I, I don't think. Um, I'll. I'll this see. Is, I'll see if I can. If I can come up with something. This uh, is why it's teams of two. You can. You can put yeah. your heads together and come up with something. <laughs> yeah, who knows? First of all, I have to see if I can find time. But yes, yeah. But um, so, if our listeners are not for some reason already following you, where can they find your work? So you can find my work on Instagram, uh, which is where I'm most active, uh, and my handle is muci m u c i underscore damascus like the steel underscore mm-hmm. blades uh same name uh on uh, facebook muchi damascus blades without underscores and um i think that's it 
Brilliant. No, uh, no websites or online stores or anything. Uh, I not at the moment. Um, I have an Etsy store, but it's there is nothing right now. It's uh, I don't. I, I actually think I put it on um, holiday mode. So yeah, mine is my too. Web, my website. Uh, I built a website very long time ago. I haven't updated in like probably three or four years, five years probably. So I'm I'm in the process of building a new one. Uh, yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, I too am building a website at the moment. Uh, it's a collaborative website with me and my wife. Since we both make knives now, um, we've got. Uh, we're working on an online storefront that we can have um, all of our items just linked to it, make it easier for people to find everything in one place. So it's a, it's a process to build a website. It's. Uh, I mean, I used to work in that field, and it's still a process. <laughs> yeah. By the way, your wife is making beautiful stuff. She's learning very quickly. She's she's yeah. a very talented girl. She's about uh, to pull the rug under your from under your feet. Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> going to be a kept man. <laughs> <laughs> she's looking forward to the mill as well uh, because um, just there's there's one thing she loves making slip joints. It's one of her favorite things mm-hmm. to make. But one of the most painful things about slip joints is when you realize that your back spring is something like 0.1 of a millimeter too thick and Mm -hmm. shaving that down is very difficult Uh, you wouldn't think it is but if you don't apply perfectly even pressure you end up getting thinning down at the the bottom or thinning near the, the the business end and things like that so the mill is actually going to have a fly cutter and a magnetic chuck um, so I can oh. just lay it on there and then just strip off exact amounts off the top of it. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a game changer because that means it be, can be just perfectly leveled. Be super careful with the magnetic shock because as I heard some horror stories with um, mag- magnetic shock and mills with fly cutters. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, take uh, plenty of uh, precautions because those are missiles. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Luckily, I'm I'm only getting a little watchmaker's mill, so any uh, any disasters are going to be miniature disasters. Yeah, <laughs> it should be good. Nothing a face shield and a bit of acrylic probably can't stop. <laughs> yeah, like like Blondiax says, every machine in your shop is actively trying to murder you. Yes. <laughs> I've actually found it quite funny as time progresses and I get more and more tools. I have like a running hierarchy of most deadly tools in the shop. And, you know, in the early days, it was like the angle grinder. That's the thing that's going to kill you the fastest. And then it's like, no, I've got a table saw now. That thing's going to kill you the fastest. And and now then I, I upgraded my drill press to like a 750 watt drill press. And I'm like, that thing's going to just chop your fucking head off. Um, and now I've got a lathe and it's that the lathe is easily the most dangerous thing in the shop now. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it's just a slow progression of of filling my workshop with things that will murder you. <laughs> yeah, my both my lathe and my drill press are uh, one horsepower. Yeah, and uh, every every time I approach the, the drill press, uh, I've worked with the drill press so so long that um, I know that I need to be respectful of the. Of the <laughs> but every time I step in front of the of the lathe, it's like. Yeah, <laughs> you put out your one power. Yes, <laughs> you do. Yes. Do one a little rain dance. <laughs> correct. One horsepower is just going to. Oh, I, and I saw some videos that 
Yeah, anybody that thinks that a lathe is not dangerous and has a strong stomach, look up the phenomenon of degloving. Oh, that's nothing. <laughs> degloving is is where it starts. <laughs> yes, I saw I saw way worse with a lot, very very large lathe. Oh, I the big ones. What, yeah, they're terrifying. Yeah, I, I won't say what I saw, but I I I have a strong stomach and I'm almost puked. So <laughs> That was horrifying. I think I've seen the same video. I had to turn it off. <laughs> yeah. But in my yeah. opinion, the most dangerous tool in your workshop is the buffer. Oh, yeah. we call them the grabby throwy. Yeah, especially if you're if you're buffing uh, knives or razors. Oh my mm -hmm. God. I have very nearly been um, had a, a steel heavy large steel S hook uh, implanted in my forehead via that thing uh, i just remember. grabbed it spun it around and then released it directly at my head um i was very very lucky that i quickly sidestepped as i as it left my hand just as a, a just an instinct and I, it was nothing but luck that made things that thing flew across the room and embedded itself in the wooden wall of my shop yeah uh, like a shuriken you, yeah i remember you spoke about it in uh, the past episode yeah, <clears throat> yeah, that but, was uh, fine. <laughs> and I've only got a little, little like three hundred and seventy watt buffer. It's not even a big one. So I have, I have, a, I have an even smaller one. That one, <laughs> <laughs> and still terrifies me. <laughs> <laughs> I put my apron. I put my face shield, gloves. Uh, I don't know because it's not a good idea to use gloves uh, with rotary tools. No, yes, uh, that's been. But yeah, from head to toe, I'm covered and I'm still terrified. You've got to have your, your blue um, latex gloves on or... Um, yep. Yeah, that's They'll it. just rip. Yep. They'll just rip off. Just yep. like your skin with a lathe. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that happy note, uh, if anybody wants to uh, email <laughs> in a question to the Forgecast, you can send it to ask.forgecast at gmail.com uh, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram where we just go by the Forgecast. You'll find us. And um, thanks heaps for coming on the show, Francesco. Hey, like uh, like always, it's, it's my pleasure and thank you for having me. It was uh, very, very nice to speak to you once again. I'm... I'm, I'm very sad that Sam is not with us. Um, yeah, I he'll be very back. Much, very, very much sending my best uh, wishes and uh, hope to hear from him soon. Yeah, he's he's a tough boy. He'll, he'll be back, but um, yeah, every, everybody's been sending their best wishes to him, and uh, yeah, he'll he'll, he'll he'll come back. The Forge Cast will keep going in the meantime, thanks to wonderful guests such as yourself. Thank you very much. So. And, uh, Thanks to You're looking... wonderful hosts like you, like yourself. Oh yes, oh, the checks in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> and if people are looking for me, you can just look up Valhalla Ironworks, uh, and I'm on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, uh, and Patreon. So check me out. Um, and we will see everybody again for another episode next week with another lovely guest. Catch you all later, guys. Bye bye.